Hey there, you're listening to Nani Fiction. I'm Nani, and today we're going to read a story by Kenneth Graham called The Reluctant Dragon. Long ago, might have been hundreds of years ago, in a cottage halfway between this village and yonder shoulder of the downs up there, a shepherd lived with his wife and their little son. Now the shepherd spent his days, and at certain times of the year his nights too, up on the wide ocean bosom of the downs, with only the sun and the stars and the sheep for company, and the friendly chattering world of men and women far out of sight and arid hearing. But this little son, when he wasn't helping his father, and often when he was as well, spent much of his time buried in big volumes that he borrowed from the affable gentry and interested parsons of the country round about. And his parents were very fond of him, and rather proud of him too, though they didn't let on in his hearing. So he was left to go on his own way and read as much as he liked. And instead of frequently getting a cuff on the side of the head, as might very well have happened to him, he was treated more or less as an equal by his parents, who sensibly thought it a very fair division of labor that they should supply the practical knowledge, and he the book learning. They knew that book learning often came in useful at a pinch, in spite of what their neighbors said. What the boy chiefly dabbled in was natural history and fairy tales, and he just took them as they came, in a sandwichy sort of way, without making any distinctions. And really, his course of reading strikes one as rather sensible. One evening, the shepherd, who for some nights past had been disturbed and preoccupied and off his mental balance, came home all of a tremble, and, sitting down at the table where his wife and son were peacefully employed, she with her seam, he with following out the adventures of the giant with no heart in his body, exclaimed with much agitation, It's all up with me, Maria. Never more can I go up on them there downs, was it ever so? Now don't you take on like that, said his wife, who was a very sensible woman. But tell us all about it first, whatever it is that has given you this shake-up. And then, me and you and the son here, between us, we ought to be able to get to the bottom of it. Oh, it began some nights ago, said the shepherd. You know that cave up there? I never liked it somehow, and the sheep never liked it either. And when sheep don't like a thing, there's generally some reason for it. Well, for some time past, there's been faint noises coming from the cave. Noises like heavy sighings with grunts mixed up in them, and sometimes snoring, far down real snoring, yet somehow not honest snoring, like you and me o' nights, you know? I know, remarked the boy quietly. Of course, I was terrible frightened, the shepherd went on, yet somehow I couldn't keep away. So this very evening before it come down, I took cast round by the cave quietly, and there, oh Lord, there I saw him at last as plain as I see you. So who? said his wife, beginning to share in her husband's nervous terror. Why him, I'm telling you, said the shepherd. He was sticking halfway out of the cave and seemed to be enjoying the cool of the evening in a poetical sort of way. He was as big as four cart horses and all covered with shiny scales, deep blue scales at the top of him, shading off to a tender sort of green below. As he breathed, there was that sort of flicker over his nostrils as you see over chalk rolls on baking windless day in the summer. He had his chin on his paws, and I should say he was meditating about things. Oh yes, a peaceable sort of beast enough, and not ramping or carrying on doing anything but what was quite right and proper. I'll admit to that. And yet, what am I to do? Scales, you know, and claws! 
and the tail for certain, though I didn't see that end of him. I ain't used to him, and I don't hold with him, and that's a fact. The boy, who had apparently been absorbed in his book during his father's recital, now closed the volume, yawned, and clasped his hands behind his head and said sleepily, It's all right, father. Don't you worry. It's only a dragon. Only a dragon, cried his father. What do you mean sitting there, you and your dragons? Only a dragon indeed. And what do you know about it? Cause it is, and cause I know, replied the boy quietly. Look here, father. You know, we've each of us got our line. You know about sheep and weather and things. I know about dragons. I always said, you know, that that cave up there was a dragon cave. I always said it must have belonged to a dragon sometime and ought to belong to a dragon now, if rules count for anything. Well, now you tell me it has got a dragon, and so that's all right. I'm not half as much surprised as when you told me it hadn't got a dragon. Rules always come right if you wait quietly. Now please, just leave this all to me, and I'll stroll up there tomorrow morning. No, not in the morning. I can't. I've got a whole heap of things to do. Well, perhaps in the evening, if I'm quite free. I'll go up, and I'll have a talk with him, and you'll find it to be all right. Only, please, don't you go worrying around there without me. You don't understand him a bit, and they're very sensitive, you know. He's quite right, father, said the sensible mother. As he says, dragons is his line and not ours. He's wonderful knowing about book beasts, as everyone allows. To tell you the truth, I'm not half happy in my own mind thinking of that poor animal lying alone up there without a bit of hot supper or anyone to change the news with. And maybe we'll be able to do something for him. And if he ain't quite respectable, our boy will find out quick enough. He's got a pleasant sort of way with him that makes everybody tell him everything. Next day, after he'd had his tea, the boy strolled up the chalky track that led to the summit of the downs, and there, sure enough, he found the dragon, stretched lazily on the sward in front of its cave. The view from that point was a magnificent one. To the right and left, the bare and willowy leagues of downs in front, the vale with its clustered homesteads, its threads of white roads running through the orchards, and well-tilled acreage, and far away a hint of gray old cities on the horizon. A cool breeze played over the surface of the grass, and the silver shoulder of a large moon was showing above the distant junipers. No wonder the dragon seemed in a peaceful and contented mood. Indeed, as the boy approached, he could hear the beast purring with a happy regularity. Well, we live and learn, he said to himself. None of my books ever told me that dragons purred. Hello, dragon, said the boy quietly when he had got up to him. The dragon, on hearing the approaching footsteps, made the beginning of a courteous effort to rise, but when he saw it was a boy, he set his eyebrows severely. No, don't you hit me, he said, or bung stones or squirt water or anything. I won't have it, I tell you. Not going to hit you, said the boy wearily, dropping on the grass beside the beast. And don't, for goodness sake, keep on saying don't. I hear so much of it, and it's monotonous. It makes me tired. I've simply looked in to ask you how you were and all that sort of thing. But if I'm in the way, I can easily clear out. I've lots of friends, and no one can say I'm in the habit of shoving myself in where I'm not wanted. No, no, don't go off in a huff, said the dragon hastily. Fact is, I'm as happy up here as stay as long. 
Never without an occupation, dear fellow, never without an occupation. And yet, between ourselves, it is a trifle dull at times. The boy bit off a stalk of grass and chewed it. Going to make a long stay here? he asked politely. Hmm, can't hardly say at present, replied the dragon. It seems a nice place enough, but I've only been here a short time, and one must look about and reflect and consider before settling down. It's rather a serious thing, settling down. Besides, now I'm going to tell you something. You'll never guess if you tried ever so. Fact is, I'm such a confoundedly lazy beggar. You surprise me, said the boy civilly. It's the sad truth, the dragon went on, settling down between his paws and evidently delighted to have found a listener at last. And I fancy that's really how I came to be here. You see, all the other fellows were so active and earnest and all that sort of thing, always rampaging and skirmishing and scouring the desert sands and pacing the margin of the sea and chasing knights all over the place and devouring damsels and going on generally. Whereas I like to get my meals regular and then to prop my back against a bit of rock and snooze a bit and wake up and think of things going on and how they kept going on just the same, you know? And when it happened, I got fairly caught. When what happened, please? asked the boy. That's just what I don't precisely know, said the dragon. I suppose the earth sneezed or shook itself or the bottom dropped out of something. Anyhow, there I was, a shake and a roar and a general stramish, and I found myself miles away underground, wedged in as tight as tight. Well, thank goodness my wants are few, and at any rate I had peace and quietness, and wasn't always being asked to come along and do something. And I've got such an active mind, always occupied, I assure you. But time went on, and there was a certain sameness about life, and at last I began to think it would be fun to work my way upstairs and see what you other fellows were doing. So I scratched and burrowed and worked this way and that way, and at last I came out through this cave here. And I like the country, and the view, and the people, what I've seen of them. And, on the whole, I feel inclined to settle down here. What's your mind occupied about? asked the boy. That's what I want to know. The dragon colored slightly and looked away. Presently, he said bashfully, Did you ever, just for fun, try to make up poetry? Verses, you know. Of course I have, said the boy. Heaps of it. And some of it's quite good, I feel sure. Only there's no one here cares about it. Mother's very kind and all of that. When I read it to her, and so's father for that matter, but somehow they don't seem to... Exactly, cried the dragon. My own case, exactly. They don't seem to, and you can't argue with them about it. Now you've got culture, you have. I could tell it on you at once, and I should just like your candid opinion about some little things I threw off lightly when I was down there. I'm awfully pleased to have met you, and I'm hoping that the neighbors will be equally agreeable. There was a very nice old gentleman up here last night, but he didn't seem to want to intrude. <laughs> that was my father, said the boy, and he is a nice old gentleman, and I'll introduce you some day if you like. Can't you two come up here and dine or something tomorrow? asked the dragon eagerly. Only, of course, if you've got nothing better to do, he added politely. 
"'Thanks awfully,' said the boy, "'but we don't go anywhere without my mother, "'and to tell you the truth, "'I'm afraid she mightn't quite approve of you. "'You see, there's no getting over the hard fact "'that you're a dragon, is there? "'And when you talk of settling down "'and the neighbors and so on, "'I can't help feeling you don't quite realize your position. "'You're an enemy of the human race, you see.' "'Haven't got an enemy in the world,' said the dragon cheerfully. "'Too lazy to make em to begin with, "'and if I do read other fellows my poetry, "'I'm always ready to listen to theirs.' "'Oh, dear,' cried the boy, "'I wish you'd try to grasp the situation properly. "'When the other people find you out, "'they'll come after you with spears and swords and all sorts of things. "'You'll have to be exterminated according to their way of looking at it. "'You're a scourge, a pest, and a baneful monster.' "'Not a word of truth in it,' said the dragon, wagging his head solemnly. "'Character bear the strictest investigation. "'And now there's a little sonnet thing I was working on when you appeared on the scene. "'Oh, if you won't be sensible,' cried the boy, getting up. "'I'm going off home. "'No, I can't stop for sonnets. "'My mother's sitting up. "'I'll look you up tomorrow sometime or other, "'and for goodness sake, try and realize that you're a pestilential scourge, "'or you'll find yourself in a most awful fix. "'Good night!' "'The boy found it an easy matter to set the mind of his parents at ease about his new friend. "'They had always left that branch to him, and they took his word without a murmur. "'The shepherd was formally introduced, and many compliments and kind inquiries were exchanged. "'His wife, however, though expressing her willingness to do anything she could, "'to mend things, or set the cave to rights, or cook a little something "'when the dragon had been poring over sonnets and forgotten his meals, "'as male things will do, could only be brought to recognize him formally. The fact that he was a dragon, and they didn't know who he was, seemed to count for everything with her. She made no objection, however, to her little son spending his evenings with the dragon quietly, so long as he was home by nine o'clock. And many a pleasant night they had, while the dragon told stories of old, old times when dragons were quite plentiful in the world, and the world was livelier than it is now, and life was full of thrills and jumps and surprises. What the boy had feared, however, soon came to pass. The most modest and retiring dragon in the world, if he's as big as four cart horses and covered with blue scales, cannot keep altogether out of the public view. And so, in the village tavern of nights, the fact that a real live dragon sat brooding in the cave on the downs was naturally a subject for talk. Though the villagers were extremely frightened, they were rather proud as well. It was a distinction to have a dragon of your own, and it was felt to be a feather in the cap of the village. Still, all were agreed that this sort of thing couldn't be allowed to go on. The dreadful beast must be exterminated, and the countryside must be freed from this pest, this terror, this destroying scourge. The fact that not even a hen roost was the worse for the dragon's arrival wasn't allowed to have anything to do with it. He was a dragon, and he couldn't deny it, and if he didn't choose to behave as such, that was his own lookout. But in spite of much valiant talk, no hero was found willing to take the sword and spear and free the suffering village and win deathless fame, and each night's discussion always ended in nothing. Meanwhile, the dragon, a happy bohemian, lolled on the turf, enjoyed the sunsets, told antediluvian anecdotes to the boy, and polished his old verses while meditating on fresh ones. One day, the boy, on walking to the village, found everything wearing a festal appearance, which was not to be accounted for in the calendar. 
Carpets and colored stuffs were hanging out of the windows. The church bells clamored noisily. The little street was flower-strewn, and the whole population jostled each other along either side of it, chattering, shoving, and ordering each other to stand back. The boy saw a friend of his own age in the crowd and hailed him. "'What's up?' he cried. "'Is it the players, or bears, or a circus, or what?' "'It's all right,' his friend hailed back. "'He's a-comin'.' "'Who's a-comin'?' demanded the boy, thrusting into the throng. "'Why, St. George, of course,' replied his friend. "'He's heard tale of our dragon, and he's a-comin', "'on purpose to slay the dead beast and free us from his horrid yoke. "'Oh, my, won't there be a jolly fight!' "'Here was news indeed. "'The boy felt that he ought to make quite sure for himself, "'and he wriggled himself in between the legs of his good-natured elders, "'abusing them all the time for their unmannerly habit of shoving. "'Once in front of the rank, he breathlessly awaited the arrival. "'Presently, from the faraway end of the line, came the sound of cheering. Next, the measured tramp of a great war-horse made his heart beat quicker, and then he found himself cheering with the rest as, amidst the welcoming shouts, shrill cries of women uplifting babies and waving handkerchiefs, St. George passed slowly up the street. The boy's heart stood still, and he breathed with sobs. The beauty and the grace of the hero were so far beyond anything he had yet seen. His fluted armor was inlaid with gold, his plumed helmet hung at his saddle-bow, and his thick, fair hair framed a face gracious and gentle beyond expression till you caught the sternness in his eyes. He drew rein in front of the little inn, and the villagers crowded round with greetings and thanks and statements of their wrongs and grievances and oppressions. The boy heard the grave, gentle voice of the saint assuring them that all would be well now, and that he would stand by them and see them righted and freed from their foe. Then he dismounted and passed through the doorway, and the crowd poured in after him. But the boy made off up the hill as fast as he could lay legs to the ground. "'It's all up, dragon!' he shouted as soon as he was within sight of the beast. "'He's coming! He's here now! You'll have to pull yourself together and do something at last!' We're going to stop there for now. Tune in next week to hear part two of The Reluctant Dragon with Nani Fiction. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.